0: turn to James chapter 1. I want to invite Sam. Sam's going to come up and read for us out of James chapter 1 uh, verses 1 through 4. If you're able, I would ask you please stand with us out of respect for God's Word. Um, Certainly if you have a physical Bible, uh, turn to James at this point. Uh, If you're not familiar, uh, it's right after the book of Hebrews. Um, But nonetheless, uh, we want to hear from the Lord this morning. So Sam, pass it up to you, brother. Good morning, church. Again, chapter 1 of James, verses 1 through 4. James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, counted all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Church, hear the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Amen. Sam, thank you. Let's let's pray. Father, thank you so much for um, the season we've just walked out of as we come out of the book of Revelation and we've seen all of the glories that you're doing and are going to do. Um, all the way to the end of history. But Lord, uh, we now come to this book, and it's such a, a practical and good book in terms of uh, of just helping us as Christians, as your people, know how to live this life. But yet we also recognize that in this book is some really, really challenging and hard things. And, and so Lord, I just pray this morning that as we begin this series, Lord, would you go before us? Would you be present with us today? Um, certainly speak through me. Um, maybe even speak in spite of me because the the desire is that that we would hear your word and, and that we would be willing to bend ourselves to your word this morning. And so, Lord, we certainly ask for your help. We need your help. By your spirit, lead us to your truth. We pray and ask all these things in your name. Amen. So, super excited about the book of James. Um, right off the bat, like it feels like we hardly read any scripture because we only read four verses instead of four chapters, right? Um, But nonetheless, like there is so much in this book and I cannot wait for us to get into the the nitty-gritty of all that is here in the book of James. But before we do that, we need to lay a couple of foundations. And as I think about laying that foundations, and I was thinking about this sermon It was actually interesting. I came across a story on something, um, uh, really a a building uh, that is in Barcelona, Spain. Have any of you ever heard of La Sagrada Familia? Those of you who are Spanish speakers, like, don't even, like, I'm terrible, right? All right, so if you haven't heard of La uh, Sagrada Familia, see, I can't even say it there. Like, this is a cathedral uh, that is being built in Barcelona, Spain. And and here's where the story is fascinating. The the construction began in 1882 when an architect decided he wanted to engage in some revolutionary ideas to create something beautiful, a cathedral, and so his name was Antony Gaudi, and Gaudi began to build this cathedral in the year 1882. He built it all the way up until his death in 1926. In 1926, when Gaudi died, it's estimated that only a fourth of the cathedral was actually finished, that it was actually completed. And so in, in 1926, when he died, several years passed, but some of his apprentices decided to take up uh, the desire to build this cathedral. And so they jumped in and they started to build and continue the work that Gaudi had started, but there was another pause that came because of the Spanish Civil War. And then in 1830 or 1936, Some anarchists went into the building and lit the crypt on fire, and some of his plans were actually burned. And so it sat there for another several years until the 1950s, where they began to rebuild again. So here's a picture of the Sagrada Familia um, as it stands at least a few years ago. And so in the 1950s, using new technologies and computers and all kinds of different stuff, they began to continue the construction, which really has continued to this day. In 2010, get this, they, they hit halfway. Now just think about that. Like they hit halfway in 2010. They're planning on having it completed in 2026. Like that's 150 years after it started. Now can you imagine the thousands of people that have put blood sweat, and tears into this cathedral to never see it actually completed, to actually never see it finished. I mean, Gaudi himself only saw a fourth of it done. And as you think about that, and you think about how crazy that is and how long it's taken, here's a question that I would ask us. Should Gaudi have never started building it knowing full well that he would never finish it? Most of us all say, no, absolutely he should have started building it. In fact, this is open even now, even though it's incomplete, and millions of people travel to Barcelona, Spain, to see this cathedral in the midst of its construction while it's not complete because it's so beautiful, because there's so much to see. One famous architect said this, he said, it is probably impossible to find a church building anything like this in the entire history of art. And this, is, this is a staggering work of art. And again, thousands of people have seen its beauty and seen what's going on. And man, maybe one of these days I'll get a chance to go see it. I haven't yet, but some of you maybe have. I'm sure it's just something to behold and you say, well, why do I tell us this story? I tell us this story because I think it's a really great picture that we need to be reminded of when it comes to why James is writing this book to you and to me all these years after he wrote it to the first church when he wrote in the first century. And here's what I mean. If you go to the text itself, turn again or look again at James chapter 1, verse 2 says this, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Now, I know there's a lot there, all right? Don't worry, we're going to get to that in the weeks ahead. But he says this, and he goes on, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing." James' desire for you and me as believers in Jesus is to be steadfastness and to be steadfast and that in our steadfastness over a lifetime that, that he is going to complete and make us perfect, that we would lack nothing. But here's the question, is that attainable? Like, is it attainable for you? Is there a hope for you to become perfect in this life? Should it even be our goal if this is impossible? Well, like Gaudi, the answer is, of course, yeah, absolutely we should pursue this. Absolutely we should strive for this. Because just because we may not see it in this life, just because we may not experience in this life, doesn't mean he's not going to complete it in the future, amen? Because he has said he's going to complete a work in every single one of us. And we've been reminded of that as we come out of the book of Revelation, But the question is, in this process, do you want to be someone who has been steadfast over a lifetime so that that steadfastness would have its full effect, that you might become perfect and complete and that you would lack nothing? That's a really big question, isn't it? Like, do you really want that? Do you want to be moving closer to a place where you could say, I lack nothing. If you hear this this morning, and you're just like, well, I don't really know. I don't really even know what that means. I want to give us a couple of warnings before we jump into the book of James. The first thing is this. If you're not willing, if we are not willing to step into this journey, we might just miss the beauty of the journey. Just because the Sagrada Familia isn't complete doesn't mean there's no beauty there. There's a lot of beauty in that cathedral. Beauty to admire, beauty to keep us pressing forward to the end goal, beauty to praise God for, and this is the same thing in our lives. Like, even though there's not a completion of the work, there's a lot of beauty in seeing God take that which is broken and make it healed and restored and more conformed into Him as image, into His image. Amen? Like, that's that's still worth looking at. But even if This isn't the case for us. One of the core points of this this book isn't only that we should strive to be completed, but it also reminds us that for this to happen, for for us to enter onto the road of this journey, we have to be reminded of our identity. And our identity is anchored right there in the same way that James's is in verse 1. James says that he's what? He's a servant of God and Lord Jesus Christ. And then we read this and we're just like, this is just an intro, but this isn't a foundation. If you ever want to come to a place where you lack nothing, if you ever want to come to a place where you jump on this road and this journey to be made complete, to be made whole, to be um, steadfast and endure to the end, it has to start with a recognition of who you are. And this term right here, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, is such An important term it's even more important when we think of who James is some of you may not know who James is so James was the brother of Jesus now here's why this is such an important thing for us because when we look at James in the New Testament James wasn't a believer James didn't want to follow his brother which you know you can kind of get right like, if you grow up and your big brother is, you've seen him grow, and you've seen him become a teenager, and you've seen all the things that happen in life, and, and you've been underneath your, your, your big brother, and he then begins to start saying, oh, I'm the son of God. How are you going to respond to that? Right? Like, James didn't believe that about Jesus. James wasn't a follower of Jesus, especially like the other disciples, but there was something drastic that happened to James. He saw his brother raised from the dead. That's the only thing that makes a brother go from not believing the things he says to believing that he's the son of God. And that term, a servant, is, is actually better rendered slave. Can you imagine some of you who have siblings saying, I am going to be a slave? To my sibling. Pretty sure that's not happening. I've got an older brother. I love him. He's wise. I'm not going to be a slave. Like ever. Like That's never going to happen. James has changed so much in what he believes. He has, he has changed his entire identity to where he now sees himself as a slave of his brother. So much to the point that it's, it's told to us in Christian history that at one point James was taken to the top of a building and told to recant, and he refused, so they threw him off the building, and he was still alive, and they were telling him to recant, and so they came and beat him to death with a club. James was transformed. And you would think, man, like James certainly would have believed Jesus with all the stories from his mom about the virgin birth and the wise men and the shepherds, But it took Jesus, raising from the dead, where James saw the identity of Jesus for the first time. And when he saw the identity of Jesus for the first time, and he truly believed who Jesus was, it changed his identity. It made him recognize that he was going to be a slave. What a transformation that must have been. What a transformation it must have been to see him become a slave of his brother This has got to be one of the strangest twists in history. As his brother declares him to be Lord and Master. He said that he he owned him. He mastered him. He redeemed him. And so when Jesus says, like he does in Matthew chapter 5, you, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, we should hear that. We should hear that as a command. We should hear that as a call. And you say, well, how, how, can, I possibly, how can I possibly ever be perfect? How can I possibly ever pursue that? That's like such an unattainable goal. Anybody reach that this morning? Like none of us have. And yet the pursuit of it isn't an option for us. It's the calling at the very base of what it is to be a Christian. And this is the second warning that we need to think of as we start this book. There's a lot of Christians in today's world that believe being the slave of Jesus and pursuing everything he says, even this, is an optional thing. Got to the place where we believe that, oh man, like, I I can just accept the blood of Jesus for my sins, but as far as me following Jesus, like, that's not that big of a deal. But Jesus says that's not, that's not possible. We are to be his, sold out, his slave. We're to be owned by him. And so when he says that we are to be perfect as our heavenly father is perfect, we're supposed to strive for that. Then and only then can we, like Paul, say this, not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect. Do you catch the importance of that statement? Paul, the apostle, Talking about perfection says this, I'm not not there. Like I've not already attained this. I am not perfect. But then he says this, but I press on to make it my own. To make what my own? Perfection my own. Why? Because Jesus Christ has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything, you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. See, because Christ made us his own, we are to strain. We are to strive. We are to press on in towards the goal of being made complete. Being made perfect. Being made holy, set apart. We get it. None of us have been there. None of us have gotten there yet. And so like Paul, we're called to then to forget that which is behind and keep pressing forward. Some of y'all need to hear that this morning. Like we feel the discouragement of it, we feel the weight of it. And I'll be honest, like, I, I, I've felt this so many times. But here's the thing: Jesus has called us to this pursuit. Do you want to see your holiness made complete? Do you want to strive and to strain? Do you want to walk through this process? To be honest, there's a part of me that wants to stop the sermon right now and just let that question hang. Don't worry, you're not going to get out of here that early. Uh, but, but that's such an important question, isn't it? Because if you, you don't see yourself as a slave of Jesus, And you don't see yourself as someone who has to do the things he's called you to. And you don't see yourself as somebody who wants to jump onto the road of being made perfect and being somebody who wants to strive and to strain and to press on to make this our own. And and you don't have any desire to be a part of that. You just want to have your sins forgiven so you don't have to worry about hell. Like you're going to miss out on the beauty that Jesus wants to do in you as he conforms you and transforms you and makes you in to something that he has designs for? This is a massive question. Do you want that? Do you want to lack nothing? Assuming that some of us do, assuming this is a desire of a, lot of a lot of us, even if we are in a space of discouragement right now or weariness right now, we need to know as we enter into this book a few important things. Because if we're going to start this process, we're going to jump into this together as a church, the first thing we need to recognize is this, we are all lacking. Like James says, he, he says like, that we would be lacking in nothing. None of us are there, which means everyone in this room is lacking something. If Paul's not there, I'm not there. We're lacking. We're lacking a lot of things. We're lacking wisdom, we lack sight sometimes to know what to do, where to go, we lack the ability to carry out the things that we know Jesus has called us to, we, we lack um, the energy to keep pressing forward because if we get worn out, like we, we're full of lacking. And this is such an important thing for us to see because if we don't see that we're lacking something, then we're never going to see to change anything. Gaudi saw the skyline of Barcelona and and believed that it was lacking a beautiful 18-spired cathedral and so that drove him to create and to make. See, if we don't think we're lacking anything, then we don't think we need to change anything. Do you believe you're righteous as it stands? Do you believe that you're, you're okay right now? Like we're A lot of us, at least, like we recognize our failings, but there's sometimes that we forget that we lack. And Paul and James are calling us to recognize our need more and more and more and more and more. Over a lifetime, as God puts us together, we have to recognize that we are lacking and we need him. If we don't start there, we'll never have anything to strive towards. I don't know if you've ever put a puzzle together. I kind of hate them, frankly. My wife loves them, and so every once in a while she gets this kick, and we get a puzzle out, and we start to put a puzzle together. And, and, you know, you get, I don't know how you all put puzzles together, but I always start with the border because that gives me some structure. I need that. Uh, So I put the border together, and and then you start putting pieces together. And, And I don't know why, even though I hate puzzles, maybe this is why I hate puzzles, you get to that point where the image of the puzzle starts to take shape like you start to see it but you still see all of the missing holes and you you can't put it down like you you know your neck is starting to get that crick and you're getting a headache and you're like man the light's not good enough and where is this piece I've been looking at it for it for 10 minutes but I just got to get this one piece down like I just get this one piece and then you put that one piece and you're like ooh I can see his face I should get one more piece and so you just keep going like it's the it's what's lacking that drives you to keep striving, right? Like if we don't recognize we're lacking, like we don't get to look towards the beauty that God's going to do as He fills what's lacking. Like we, it's okay to admit that none of us are there yet, and the church is terrible at this. We we love to try to put these like facades out there to be like, man, we got it all together. Surely, because Darren stands on stage and because he preaches the gospel, like he's got it all together. No, I'm not complete. None of us are. Yes, we've all had victories. I hope we have, but we've seen God working beautifully. Yes, the image that God is trying to make us into is becoming more and more um, seen as the pieces get put together, but none of us are there. Do you recognize you're lacking? Second thing, we need to be reminded, only he is the one who complete us. You can't complete yourself. He's the only one. He's the only one that has the plan to the building that he is trying to make in you. Apart from Christ, we can do nothing. We cannot complete ourselves any more than that cathedral can complete itself. The master architect is the only one who has the ability and the knowledge to do the work that we need done in our lives. He's the only one. Most importantly, as Paul says in Philippians, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Is that not an encouraging text? If he began a good work in you, you can be sure he is going to complete it on the day of Jesus Christ. Unlike Gaudi, Jesus is not going to stop construction. Jesus is not going to be finished. Like He's going to finish his work. In you and me. 1 Thessalonians says this Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. Uh, Listen, I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know how long you've been a believer in Jesus Christ. Maybe for years and years and years. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter where you've come from. If you're willing to day after day lay yourself before the Lord, you know that he will completely sanctify you. He is going to do it. He is going to surely do it. So if you're weary or you're tired or you're discouraged or you're frustrated or there's things that have happened in your life and you're just like, man, I don't see what God's doing in this. Listen, you have the hope that he is going to surely complete the work he started in you. He's going to finish it wholly. Now, with that, it's true that in our lives, we can certainly refuse to be a part of it. We can refuse to bend. We can refuse to let him mold us. We can hold on to our sins. We can hold on to our pride. We can hold on to our control. We can hold on to our wisdom. We can resist by being angry And demanding God give us answer when things don't happen in our lives the way that we want them to. We can resist him by not stepping out in faith so that he can mold us and shape us and grow our faith. We can resist him by holding on to our comforts, our own wisdom, or our appearances, right? Like I'm more worried about what someone else is going to think of me than what Jesus is trying to do in me. Like we can resist him. Certainly we can. But the call for us is to not resist. It's to lay our lives down, and it's in the midst of enduring day in and day out, every moment, every word, to trust in Jesus, and then that steadfastness that he builds in us is going to prove to be the very work of completion that he is doing, but we have to be willing, and we have to trust him. We have to trust the builder. If we are constantly resisting his work, it may not thwart him, but it may slow down the process. And you may not be able to see the fruit born in your life the way that maybe you could have. But I also can't ignore this reality. If you're somebody who is constantly opposed to the work that God is doing in you, and you're constantly resisting his work, and you constantly are refusing to submit to Jesus, then you have to be willing to acknowledge the possibility that you are simply a tree bearing the right kind of fruit, meaning you may not be in him in the first place. Because to believe a believer in Jesus is to believe that he's worthy of submitting yourself entirely to. And you may not do it perfectly, but if your life is saying over and over and over again, and you're bearing the fruit that you're not willing to submit, you're not willing to listen, you're not willing to do what he calls you to, then you may just be revealing what's really there inside of you. And I would be a terrible pastor if I didn't say that's a possibility with anyone who refuses to submit to God. Regardless of what you say you believe. I can't answer that question for you. You need to examine yourself before the Lord. You need to go to the Lord in that process. Asking him to reveal that to you. But if you are one who says, I believe Jesus is the son of God, but I will not make him my Lord. That is not the gospel acceptance it requires. Of his people. So that's a hard thing for us. This is why this is such an important thing, that while we may not ever get there, we strain, we strive. And as we together as the body of Christ, as we step into this road together, and as we start to look at this stuff in the future, as the specific things that James is calling us to, that really the Lord is calling us to through James, we also want to start by taking a lesson from the pearl If your identity is one, you say that I believe that I am a slave of Jesus and he can do whatever he wants with me and he can tell me where to go and he can call me and command me and I'm going to submit myself. If you realize that, that he has made you his own and because he has made you his own, you are going to strive for the perfection that he calls and you're seeking obedience to that as you offer yourself up to be molded and to be built and to be made complete we all need to understand this one thing: it will not be easy. It will not be easy. You likely know how a pearl is formed. Like a pearl is a beautiful thing, they're treasured, they're sought after over the world over, right? Uh, like people, uh, gals, you love to get pearl necklaces and, uh, and and wear those. Like, but how is a pearl formed? A pearl is an irritant. Like it's a piece of sand getting into the shell of a mollusk or a piece of bacteria getting into the shell of a mollusk and it rubs him and makes it painful. And so he secretes the shell-like material that then coats the the sand or coats the irritant with the shell and it makes a pearl. And that doesn't happen overnight. It takes months if not years. Some pearls take four years to make. This is the process that happens. So much time, persistence, endurance. Are you willing to go through that process? Because so often what we will find throughout the book of James and as we will find in our lives, so often for us to get to the treasure, we have to go through the persistence and the time and the irritants. The hard truth, as many of the people do not like to hear in the church today, is that God, in all of his wisdom, as more often than not, in the road to completion, made that road full of bumps and obstacles and even challenges. I say it this way, God's beautiful work of completion often requires irritants, time, and endurance. Think about people in the Bible. Abraham, hey, go to this land, I'm going to give it to you. He never saw it given to him. He died hoping it would be given to him. Hey, you're going to have a son. Decades go by. How about Joseph? Joseph, hey, you're, you're, you're gonna be, your brothers are going to bow down to you. But Joseph went through wells, being sold as a slave. He went as a, as a slave in Egypt, being thrown in prison. And then ultimately he did get to the top, but then even then he never went back home. Moses wandered the wilderness, never saw the promised land. Elijah, one of the greatest prophets of all time, constantly had the irritant of this wicked woman named Jezebel trying to kill him every single day? Like, you see throughout the Bible, like, this is part of faith. Look at David. David, you're going to be king, but you know what? For a couple decades, you're going to run away from Saul, and you're going to have to hide in caves and be hungry and thirsty, and then one of these days, you'll actually become king. Like, he was making David into something. This isn't just Old Testament. Go to the New Testament. Remember the blind man who was born blind? And he comes to Jesus. And what does Jesus say to the blind man? He says, You were made blind for this moment that I could heal you, and the glory of God would be shown. Like this is this is hard. Like it's hard to be made complete. Like it's hard. The reality of it is as Christians, and I'm just going to give you a list of some things that we need to be reminded of, that in this road or on this road, we are going to face trials. We are going to be hated. And we're going to get into a lot more detail about those, but it goes even further. We're also, we have to die to ourselves. We will have to love our enemies. We will have to be corrected. We will have to be rebuked. We will have to be taught. We will have to be trained. We will have to be disciplined. We will have to be sharpened. We will have to forsake our ways, and we will have to endure. Like, that's a good sell, isn't it? Right? Like, I want Jesus to complete me. And this is what I'm going to get. Like, this, this is the reality, right? see, because here's the thing, when you look at this list, if you recognize that you lack wisdom, then you recognize you need to be taught. If you recognize that you lack the ability to do something, then you recognize you need to be trained. If you recognize that you're weak in something, then you recognize that you need to be disciplined. If you recognize that you walk in wrong ways, then you recognize sometimes you need to be corrected and rebuked. Now listen, let me be clear. God also completes us by good times and, and, and fun times and times of joy and celebration. But more often than not, this is part of our walk. And most of us, like a lot of times, we don't like this. I cannot tell you how many people in my five years of being lead pastor at this church have told me that they're going to leave Central Christian Church because they don't like feeling convicted by the word. Like, I'm serious. You think I'm joking. But but people say, well, I only want to go to be encouraged. That's not the only thing this is for. I'm a dingbat most of the time, right? I need the word to tell me how to get straight. Like, my path on my own is always going to be like this. I need the word to guide my steps. And guess what? It's never comfortable. Like, it's uncomfortable. It it presses me. It kind of makes me feel like, oh, wow, like, I kind of messed up. And in the midst of that, guess what we get to do? Then we get to trust in the grace of Jesus Christ and take joy in the fact that he says, you're still mine. Like, this is the reality of it. Now, here's the problem for most of us. Most of us are willing to jump on this path most of us say, I'll absolutely jump on the path to completion, but here's what I want. I'll even take being rebuked. I'll even take being corrected. I'll even take having to forsake my own ways. But when it comes to looking at the process of being made whole, I want to see these giant steps. I want to see me go from point A to point Z in like two days. Some of you are laughing because you know that's not how this works. That's not how it works. That's not how it works for very many of us. Now, granted, there are times when we grow really fast. And we grow really amazingly. But most of the time, do you want to know what our growth looks like? Paul tells us. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image. All right, so stop. So we're being transformed into the image of Jesus, which is perfect, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So you know what makes the Christian walk hard? It's this. We're growing like this. One degree. Every day, one degree. We want to go from five degrees to 20. It's not. It's five to six. Six to seven. Seven to eight. And sometimes we get to the point where we're like, man, like, I, I, I'm exhausted. Like, I don't feel like I'm changing at all. And that's when you need like a good spouse to come to you and say, oh, you're way different than you were when you got married. <laughs> well, let me tell you all the ways that God has sanctified you in the past five years. That's why you need good, godly Christian friends that can remind you of all that God has done in you. Because sometimes we don't see the changes. It's like, It's like some of y'all have been saying to my kid this week, or this summer, um, particularly Ethan, my my son, like you see him and you're like, oh my goodness, you're gigantic. And I was like, did he grow? He looks the same to me. Like it's by degree. Like brothers and sisters, you and I, we need to be encouraged that our growth, our trajectory of growth, it's not about taking the large steps. It's day after day after day after a day over a lifetime, degree by degree by degree by degree being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And when we fail, which we will and we do, resting upon his grace and resting upon his mercy, walking all The way to the end. The encouragement is that the world might be hard and it's good. And there's beauty to be had there, like the Sagrada Familia. There's beauty to be seen, even though the work is not complete. Even though the puzzle's not done, you can see the picture of the bird or the tree or whatever it is, and you can see part of it. Like there's still beauty there. 2 Corinthians says this. It says, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen, they are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. James is full of God's words intended to guide us on this road. And I couldn't be more excited to get into it. But we had to lay this foundation first. So as we close... I pose a few questions. Who is building you? Who's who's building you? Who is working in your life right now? Who are you trusting to create you into a workmanship? Of beauty and intricacy and awe-inspiring detail. The story of life that God has for you. I ask this question, are you a slave of Jesus. And if that makes you uncomfortable, it's supposed to. Are you a slave of Jesus? Do you recognize a need? Do you recognize that you're lacking? Does that lead you simply to, does your life lead you to a place of contentment and apathy? You're like, man, I'm good. I have the grace of Jesus. I don't need to grow anymore. Like I don't need to. I don't need to become anything else. Like uh, it doesn't matter. Like listen, that's not the life God has for you. Do you want to be like Paul, He says, "Yeah, I know I haven't obtained it, and, I, and so I'm going to forget what I what, what's gone behind, and I'm going to press on. I'm going to keep straining. I'm going to keep pressing." See, so one of my hopes for you today, for us today, is that we would really examine our lives. Are you in the midst of one of those construction pauses? Like you know God's built you and he's tried to complete you and he's done some work in you but man like you you're in one of those pauses right now. Maybe you're tired. You've lost sight of the plans. Maybe life's just busy. It's just busy, and so putting yourself into a position to hear from the voice of God, to let him work on you and correct you and and do the things he wants to do in your life, like you just haven't found time, and so it just keeps being put off, and you keep prioritizing other things. Maybe you falsely believe the lie that the Christian life, it's just about belief in some fact and obeying, uh, uh, obeying some kind of a moral checklist. Like if I just do these things, then God will be happy with me. And so he's not the Lord of your life. And so you're in one of those construction pauses. Maybe maybe you've suffered a tragic loss. And it's made you doubt God's goodness. It's made you question whether he knows what he's doing felt the weight of that. Maybe you're in this room right now and you're like, you've got that sin that you've been struggling with and it is like a weight on your shoulders and so you feel like you can't be made complete. Like there's just this pause and you just keep resisting and you keep staying away from the Lord because you feel so guilty. You feel so much uh, just shame. Brothers and sisters, I just saw this. We are called to be slaves to the one who has bought us and redeemed us and the work that he wants to do is going to beyond, be beyond anything you can imagine, and I want to invite you this morning to get back on the road. Get back on the road. Maybe you've been walking for decades. Maybe you're in your 70s, or your 80s, and you're like, what more can I do? Listen, he can continue to work on you until the day you see Jesus's face, and the work is done. I don't want to know what it is, but but what the call is, is James, like, get back on the road. Strain towards the goal. Press on towards the goal. Forget what's happened behind you and press on to what is ahead. Let the Lord heal and let the Lord redeem and let the Lord restore and let the Lord build you up into something beautiful. So that's my call to you as believers. If you're in this room though, and you're not a believer, here's my call to you. And I would think that you probably know that you're not a believer. But regardless, if you're somebody who says I don't want to submit to God, I'm gonna I'm fine building myself into what it is, into what I think it is. Listen, here's what I would tell you: If you haven't gotten to this place already, you will someday. But I believe some of you already have you will find that as you build yourself up and you tried to make it beautiful and you tried to make it uh, be able to be steadfast and strong, you will find that everything you build in your own strength is gonna be like building a sandcastle on the shore. And as soon as the wave comes, it's just gonna wash away. I'm telling you as as, as somebody who has felt it and has experienced it and has the hope of it driving my life as so many others in this room would be, Jesus is saying, would you just lay it down? I can build something so much better. I've got something so much better for you. But you have to be willing to submit to his lordship. You have to be willing to submit to the fact that he knows best. You have to be willing to forsake your ways. And if you are, then you just throw all your trust and faith in him. Come to him and say, I need help. And you will find nothing but grace and mercy and love and redemption all bought with the blood of Jesus. And so to the Christian, I invite you to get back on the road. For those of you here that don't know Jesus, come join the road for the first time. As we sing this last song, we're going to have prayer counselors, elders, pastors up at the front. And listen, if you're in any of those categories, maybe you're just weary and you want someone to just pray over you, uh, like I want to invite you to come up to the front. And let us just pray over you. I promise we're not going to make you a spectacle of anything, but we would love to be able to connect with you in that way. So at this point, let's pray. I'll ask you to stand and then Ryan will lead us in this last song. Father, You've promised to complete the work that you've begun in us. And I I look across this room, and so many of these people I know, and I believe you've begun that work. But I also know that the road is hard. The road is weary. The road can take a long time. And so I pray, Father, for those that are weary, that they would find strength. I pray, Father, for those that are discouraged this morning, they'd find strength courage to get back on the road and continue to strive i pray for those this morning that lord they feel the weight of their sin they're just struggling like i thought i was a christian and and i keep struggling lord i pray that you would help them by your spirit to lean heavy into the grace that you give to us in jesus father i pray for those that are here that don't know you lord i pray that you'd help them to jump on the road Father, you're gonna give us so many beautiful things in this text to live our lives by, to be changed by and transformed by, but it has to start with the willingness to lay our lives down to become your slaves. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to do that. I pray, Lord, you'd help us to do that not just once, but every minute of every day, every day of every week, every week of every month, every month of every year over a lifetime, and that in this room, you will be transforming people degree by degree into the likeness of your son, and we would see all the beauty of your work. I pray and ask these things in your name. Amen. Would you stand with us?